Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. It's time for Dan Slevin. Dan Slevin o'clock. Dan, of course, is our resident film reviewer. He's chatting to us uh, for the first time this year tonight. Uh, well, he was on earlier this week presenting at the movies, but we don't need to talk about that. Uh, and he joins us now live. Ancient history, Emil. Ancient history. It never happened. Dan did it. Well, no, it did. You can go back and listen to it on the RNC website. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, before we get to it, actually, I want to tell you about, um, well, not even tell you, ask you whether you've seen this new um, uh, Studio Ghibli film. Oh, The, uh, the Boy, the and, boy the and the Heron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I want to go and see it. I've seen it. I want to go see I've it on Sunday. I've seen it twice. You've seen it twice? Really? Yeah, I had to go, I had to go back. Well, because I saw it, I saw it once to review it, uh-huh. and then immediately came out and said, texted my wife and said, "You really need to see this. Let's go um, on the weekend." And so, yeah, three days later, I was back, and I actually watched it the second time round on IMAX, one the giant oh, IMAX God. screen in Queensgate in Lower Hutt, and um, we both we we were we both had tears in our eyes yeah. the uh at, at the end of it it is it's incredibly moving it's especially moving if you know about uh Miyazaki's uh career and you've watched lots mm. of his films and you realize that he's sort of come out of retirement for yeah. this film you know he's he's in his he's in his 80s and it's a film that is kind of like a signing off of a of, of 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 an older man looking back on the various chapters of his life. It's, it's autobiographical, if you can imagine a talking heron being an autobiographical yeah. film. Um, but it is it's 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 beautiful and sad and complex and very idiosyncratic in the way that Miyazaki, who really sort of takes no crap from anybody yeah. these days, um, you would expect. So, no, I, I recommend it thoroughly. I love it when artists get to that age where they don't have to make money and they don't have to impress anyone anymore. They're just doing stuff because they love doing it and they're so good at, at doing it and they kind of have free right. Ra- you know what I mean? Like later you're yeah, a Bowie yeah, kind totally. of thing. Yeah, well, which brings us to the first film that I wanted to talk to you about tonight, which is Vim Vim Vendors. Uh (laughs) I know, I've been been doing this a while. Um, Vim Vendors, who is, he's not 80, he's 78, so he's just a kid compared to Scorsese and and Miyazaki and what have you. But his new film, Perfect Days, is an example, I think, of a filmmaker very much at the peak of his maturity and the peak of his powers and I'm I was coming out of it thinking oh I hope I'm still doing my best work when I'm 78 I will be here in 2048 um on Friday night talking to you Emil still talk, still um and what a great, good and what a great advice, time we'll be having as well <laughs> absolutely um so perfect days is set in Japan a, t- a country that I love Tokyo a city that I love and it's uh, a very small modest little film about a middle-aged man 
who cleans toilets for a living and he lives alone and he gets up before dawn. He, he doesn't have an alarm clock. He's woken up by the sound of his neighbor sweeping up the leaves outside. And uh, we watch his daily routine. Uh, and we think of this guy as somebody who's kind of got it together. He's, uh, he is, uh, he's, he's had a bit of a think about his life and he knows what he likes and he does what he likes and he takes great care with his job. And you think, um, well, that's, that's, you know, very, very nice. But then various things happen when we, as we watch his routine. It's like subtle changes happen and people sort of interfere in his routine. And you realize that, of course, that no matter how much you love your routines and how much you love your life, change is always going to be, uh, is always going to happen. Either happens to you or you happen to it. Um, and it's, look, it's just beautiful and sweet and profound and, uh, it's got a perfect message, I think, for this day and age, Emil, which is pay attention to small things, mm. you know, stop and and look at the light through the leaves and the trees and maybe take a photograph. Uh, and and also, you know, pay attention to now. Next time is next time, he says to his niece, mm. who is a bit more who, who's sort of a bit more. Um, impetuous and impatient he says next time is next time now is now and it's just such a perfect message for our our current world and i think only a, really a 78 year old man could could have made this film to be honest it, it's interesting that you that, that hearing the themes that you sort of talk about particularly with that setting of, of of tokyo because i've never been to tokyo but i love i really love the film lost in translation um partly for for the, the sort of the the contradictory um, you know the idea, the theme in that film of um, uh, feeling so isolated in a place that is so vibrant and full of of people. Are, are these sort of overlaps with with that overall idea in this film in any way? Yeah, because there is because there's a question that you as a as a viewer ask about. Well, is this guy lonely? What's happened to him that he's so content with his own company? Mm. He barely he barely speaks throughout the film. In fact, he do, you think he's he might be a mute. For a long period, and then you realise that he just doesn't need to speak to anybody. He goes and has his dinner at the same little sushi place in uh, the subway every day, and on Saturday nights he goes to the same tiny little bar where the same three regulars sit, and he and he reads his he reads his book, and he is just content watching what he comes out of his house each morning and sees that the sun has come up and smiles, you know, at, at every new day. Um, and you get the sense as you learn more about him that those are choices that have been really con he's consciously made, but he's, you know, he's not, he's not isolated from the world. He smiles at everybody he sees and he, uh, you know, he, he's not unconnected, but he's just so um, complete in his own in his own self, if you know what I mean. Mm. But I, when when I was in Tokyo, I th there is that exactly that that same sort of question about how do you how do you make connections with people in a city that big? Mm. Um, I think what helps with Tokyo is that actually it, it's a huge city, but most of it's on a very human scale. Like there's there's a lot of the neighbourhoods are sing single lane. Um, roads that are shared between cars, bicycles, and humans, uh, and apartments are, are small, and there's a, 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 
uh, I guess, a, uh, a restaurant or a cafe on the ground floor of almost every apartment building. Mm-hmm. And so you can make connection and you don't feel as if you're being completely oppressed by the scale of the place. You're a big Vim Vendors fan? Look, I am a big Vim Vendors fan, have been since when I was a kid and I've watched Paris, Texas yeah. for the first time. It was 1984. And uh, what a marvellous film that is that bears, uh, bears repeating, uh, of course. And, uh, and over the last couple of years, I've been filling in a few gaps uh, with, my, with my vendors and uh, trying to uh, see some of, those, some of his earlier 1970s films. Mm-hmm. It's not the easiest thing in the world mm-hmm. to find Vim Vendors films here in New Zealand at the moment. I was um, having a look online and most of those early films are really only available on DVD through what is left of our, our outhouse DVD stores. So right. that's Arrow Street and um, Alice Alice's, in yeah. um, Christchurch. Uh, so really on, the only ones that you can find online at the moment are Paris, Texas, and that's only available from Aro Vision, which is Aro Video's uh, rental store. Wings of Desire, which is a fantastic film, and that's just had a, um, a brilliant new restoration. Uh, that's a digital rental from Apple. And a documentary he made a few years ago about uh, Pina Bausch, the um, choreographer, uh, Pina, uh, which originally was in 3D, isn't obviously when you rent it from Apple. But Mm. uh, I think it's a real tragedy that not not all of his films are easily available. You know, if you you fall in love with a director, you should be able to dive in, I reckon. And it shouldn't be as hard as it is. You want to know something serendipitous? I I rang I rang my mum earlier this week. Um, maybe it was on Sunday, um, and she she lives in Christchurch. And do you know what she was doing? She was about to go and watch a cinema screening of Paris, Texas. And she said to me, she said, um, when I was pregnant with you, Emil, I listened to the Paris, Texas soundtrack just obsessively on repeat because it's a rye a rye kudas soundtrack is that right Rikuda, yeah. yeah and and that's right and ever since your dna yeah well just until she had me and then when she had me that that was it like she stopped listening to rye kudas but they barely listened to it in the intervening 32 years isn't that strange i think that uh i think that that just shows that uh the power of vim vendors in paris texas have you seen it i haven't i haven't no but maybe I have oh, in my good. blood. Well, that's your homework for that's your that's homework for this week. <laughs> the power of inventors and the power, indeed, of shortcut with Dan Sleven. All right, let's move on to the second um, film that uh, you're going to talk to us about: A Thousand and One. Yeah, this is one that uh, I was doing a bit of my own homework over the summer and reading a lot of the international critics sort of best of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I live on um, spreadsheets, uh, Emil, to try and keep track of what I should be watching and uh, what I should be paying attention to. Oh, you're and such this a one nerd, Dan. Was... I love it. <laughs> um, and this one was the, the one, won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance in 2023, which mm-hmm. is a, almost exactly a year ago. And so you would have assumed, I think, that that might have meant that it would have shown up in the New Zealand International Film Festival in July, but it didn't. And as a result, it sort of dropped off my radar. But there it was showing up in lots of uh, people that I respect's lists of the best of the year. And as I sort of made a note of it, almost within a few days, I noticed that it had shown up on Netflix. And Netflix is a puzzlement, isn't it, in terms of like what their strategy is oh, and what their mate, aesthetic is. Yeah. 
But every so often, something turns up that's really, really good. And this is, this is, I mean, it really is. It's set in New York City across a sort of 20-year period from the mid-90s uh, to the mid-2010s. Uh, and it's about a, uh, a young woman who... Um, is trying to go straight after getting into trouble with the law and her son has been taken into care. So in an effort to try and get her life back on the tracks, she basically abducts him from the care home that he's been living in and changes their name and tries to sort of start a new life for each other. Mm. And it's 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 about, I think, the kind of families that you make rather than the families that you're given at birth, if you know what I mean, yeah. that how important the people that you find uh, around you. Uh, and it's it's gritty. It's very much about the changing face of New York as well, the uh, gentrification of Harlem and how difficult it has become to, uh, to be on a low income in New York. Um, and the boy that she has, her son Terry, turns out to be super bright and she's persuaded him to um, go to a, a, a school that's got a technology focus but he's he wants to be a musician but it's just this beautiful bond between uh, a mother and her son as they go through she is fierce she's a fierce woman she's played by uh, a woman called tiana taylor who is not necessarily very well known as an actor but is a dancer and choreographer by trade she has choreographed for beyonce Oh, wow. But she turns out to be a fierce actor, and she often that character uh, the she goes into battle for herself and for her son, often to the detriment of both of them. But there's lots of drama, but there's lots of love in it too. And uh, I really do, yeah, recommend a thousand and one on Netflix. Have you been to? We've New got York? a clip from it here, I think. Oh, we, you do? No, 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 we do, we do, we do. Let's play that. The trailer. Let's play that. Yes. Tell me more about your foster mother. You like her? Would it make you feel better if you came to stay with me? Yeah. All right, we're gonna go to Harlem, where I grew up at. The city had him. He's not supposed to be with me. Can't you get locked up for Not if you keep it to yourself. Where's my dad at? He's gone. But you wouldn't like them anyway. I got somebody else in mind. Terry, I want you to meet Lucky. Lucky's gonna be moving in with us. How long? Damn. You better get that chip off your shoulder. I know you hear me. You are my mother. You a blessing. For your mom especially. You getting older now. Time for you to start thinking for yourself. That sounded fun. I mean, there's only so much that you can get from an oral trailer, but it did sound fun. It it's, it's there's a, it um, crushes a lot together in that trailer, yeah. I think. But right. the film itself isn't quite so busy. Uh, busy, yeah. No, that makes sense. Dan, I I have I have two questions for you before. Is we... 
going to if if children in dread are, are are a problem for you and i know that they are for a lot of people when they watch um when they watch films and they and the idea of children in peril puts them off a little bit you you might want to give this one a bit of a, a swerve but it it does have uh i i think a pretty uplifting ending as well fantastic uh, so, sorry i think you um your zoom might have dropped out for a second there but uh you're back now so no harm no foul maybe my ears simply weren't working before we move on to the, the third movie that you're going to talk about tonight i have two questions for you the first is you mentioned that um a thousand and one wasn't on the new zealand international film festival list just out of interest and i don't know whether you know the answer to this question but how do films get on to that list well, they have professional programmers who travel to festivals around the world. They have a representative who goes to Cannes every year and they have uh, somebody who's permanently based in Europe, actually, who is, is, is responsible for keeping an eye on what goes on there. They have a programmer based here in Wellington who uh, is, I guess, sort of oversees uh, all of that. A lot of films are submitted to them by the distributors or by filmmakers, and so they have to kind of watch everything that they uh, get shown. Uh, And they also have specialists, or they did up until very recently, uh, have specialist programmers. So uh, up until quite recently, they had somebody whose job it was to keep an eye on um, the Asia Pacific region, for example. Uh, And then what they do is they work out how much each film is going to cost and whether they think there's an audience for it. And um, some films that you may assume had been offered to them aren't necessarily offered to them because Mm -hmm. distributors have strategic priorities that right. maybe don't match with a festival or they or they're going they want to go into a different festival we've got so many festivals they yeah. they may go well this we 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 want this one to go into the french film festival because it's actually really um uh, commercial rather than uh, right. so yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, it is it's a big juggling act to be honest and also the festival has had some lean years thanks to covid mm-hmm. uh, and so when back in the days before COVID, there might be 160 feature films programmed. It's now down to probably about 100, 120. Right. So it is, it's, it's a skinnier program than it used to be. So um, I think that, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot for a programmer to feel like that can justify space on a screen at that time of year when it's so competitive. Gee, it'd be pretty sweet being the person who's based in Europe watching movies in Europe for the international oh, man that's life goals. I know, I the know. other One question the, jobs. the other question that i had for you dan is you mentioned earlier that um you know some film critics who you respect had spoken well of this film who do you go to uh in the film criticism world these days who do you who do you rely upon because my boy roger ebert um you know rest his soul has has left us left us quite a long time ago i mean i kind of go with peter bradshaw and the guardian these days but who, who are the names that that you um oh, respect crunch. that's a that's that's a that's a really good question. Um, there's a guy called uh, Matt Zola Seitz who writes for New York Magazine, yeah. and he's also an editor at the RogerEbert.com website. Great so website, that, yeah. that, that Roger Ebert site, even though Roger is no longer with us and doesn't contribute to it, it does actually contain like it's really well curated, yeah. and lots of good people write for it. Um, there's a guy who um, I met when I was in New York a few years ago called Glenn Kenny, who uh, is also an author of film books. And he writes for the New York Times as well as for RogerEbert.com and a few other places. Uh, and uh, there's an, a guy based in Colorado, but he writes for Ebert and for a few other sites. And his name is Walter Chow, C-H-A-U. Oh, Chaw, sorry, C-H-A-W. Mm-hmm. 
And he is um, he's somebody who you really want to pay attention to because he does really sort of smart, deep dives into mm-hmm. films. And if he if he likes something, you want to pay attention to it. And good film criticism is really often wonderful, wonderful. I mean, some of those Roger Ebert, you know, greatest movies compilations and, and things like that. It's like it's literature. A lot of those things you want a Pulitzer, I think, for for criticism. So. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, I've always thought that when I'm writing, I'm writing for the people who aren't necessarily going to see the film. They've mm. still got. To, I still want them to read me. <laughs> so you still got. You still got to try and. Um, you still got to get them to the end of your of, of, of your five hundred words or whatever it is. And um, you have nominated a film, and you will do so every week that anybody can watch um, for free. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the, 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 there's a sense now. I think that things like Netflix are a bit of a tax. You mm. know, like you can't not have it really. Otherwise, you're not part of the conversation at work during the week but i do feel that uh especially as netflix now has uh, or is it going to be introducing a ad supported um option which will be much cheaper and i know that prime video uh, is about to do the same um, oh. a, a much lower cost um version with ads well all of a sudden that means that tvnz plus and maori plus and three now um, which don't charge anything for access. You just have to sit through an ad every 20 or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, that brings them back into the conversation, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Because, uh, you know, yeah, no charge. The ad, an ad every so often. TVNZ Plus is, has got a quite a Mate, spectacular... It's, it's dynamite. Um, it's absolute dynamite. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I used to kind of laugh at, laugh at TVNZ Plus, and then I went back maybe a year or so ago. I was like, oh, my God, this is... Inc- it's better than just about any any of even the paid ones, I reckon. I know. I, I think that whoever's programming for TVNZ Plus deserves a pat on the back. Also, Māori Plus yeah. um, has a lot of really good art house and uh, foreign material, which is available, again, um, just for ads only. But I wanted to focus on 3Now because they had a bit of a revamp at the end of last year. Their technology has been improved. It's a much more reliable service. They're owned by um, Warner Brothers Discovery, and they're sort of dipping their toes in the water of uh, feature films and and classic feature films as well. Like There are, there are not many, but uh, I think there's probably six mm-hmm. on the site at the moment that you might um, want to watch. Three of them are directed by Christopher Nolan. And um, all his films have been uh, Warner Brothers films, so they've got access to the the whole Warner Brothers library, so you'll see all of the Batman will turn up every now and then. Uh-huh. But uh, the one I wanted to highlight was there, there are three Christopher Nolan films on there, Inception, uh, Tenet, uh, which is uh, his most recent film mm-hmm. before Oppenheimer, and from 2006, The Prestige, which is one of my favourite films of his. Oh, it's and, such uh, a good movie. We've got a little bit of a clip from it here, I think, or a clip from the trailer. Every great magic trick consists of three acts. The first act is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary. But of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. He's obsessed with discovering your method. The magician makes this ordinary something do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret. But you won't find it. That's why there's a third act called The Prestige. This department of twists and turns where lives hang in the balance. Julie, come on! And you see something shocking you've never seen before. 
This was built by a man who can actually do what magicians pretend to do. Real magic. I know what you really are. How does he do it? You want the truth. Nothing is impossible. Abracadabra. No secrets. Secrets of my life. I got a bit excited there, Dan, and I turned my mic on too early. <laughs> it's a great movie, The Prestige. It's so good, isn't it? Oh, I mean, the cast, like, it was what? And... It was Michael Caine, Hugh Jackman, um, Christian Bale, Scarlett Johansson, Rebecca Hall. And then out of nowhere, halfway through, who should pop, who should pop out but David Bowie himself? And, and David Bowie actually are underplaying, whereas everybody yeah. else on screen is sort of is, is chewing scenery. David Bowie turns up and is just super cool as Nikola Tesla, yeah. the um, inventor. Who uh, it's it is it's a it's a lovely performance, and he adds this whole air of mystery. I mean, the, the, the it's a puzzle anyway, isn't mm-hmm. it? The the plot of the Prestige. It's set in eighteen nineties uh, London, Victorian London. It's about stage magicians and the contest between them, and how they're desperate to find out each other's secrets. And, you know, one of the neat things about stage magic is that the magician will often be telling you, as the the trick is going on, what he's doing. So you think you're being told the secret, but actually even the telling you is misdirecting you from what you should be watching. And the film does the same thing. Like that, that little um, intro there from Michael Caine, mm-hmm. basically tells you exactly what the film is going to do. But that doesn't mean that you can you can still predict any of it or that it won't come as a surprise to you. But it 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 uses the tricks of stage magic as cinema magic, if you know what I mean. Misdirection and uh, mistaken identities and doubles and all of that sort of stuff. It's... Uh, oh, have we lost Dan? I think we might have lost Dan. I heard a little... Um, yes, I definitely heard a wee whick there um, from Dan Slevin. We will keep him on the line because it is nearly three minutes to ten o'clock. But while we wait and see if he is going to reconnect, let me just tell you what we have got coming up uh, on the program. After ten o'clock, we have the long news bulletin, of course, at ten o'clock. And then we are heading down to Southland to talk about... Uh, the Waikaka Royal Hotel, which has got a new lease on life after it was bought by a bunch of um, big-hearted locals. And then Finn Johansson at around half past ten is in for Out Late with Finn to play us some new tracks. And actually, I'm going to play a song uh, that I like as well and hope that it impresses uh, Finn. Dan Slevin is, we believe, back on the phone. Dan, are you there? I am. He's yes, back. Yes. There, we, there we go. Analog fashion now. Continue, if you would, slathering praise onto the prestige. Well, I'm not sure where, where I got to, but I would um, just say that uh, the, the, it's just a lovely how it uses the tricks that magicians use to tell um, a cinematic story, you know, through misdirection, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, it's, uh, and, uh, it's a beautiful sort of puzzle, but at the same time, Quite. Uh, I, I watched it again this week in preparation for tonight, and it's it's good human story as well. You know, there's uh, the the women in particular. I yeah. think are well used. Exactly, I agree. And um, 
Yes, you're right. The sort of um, envy and motivation and rivalry and those things that drive people to do sometimes inhumane um, and psychopathic things. The thing that I also liked about The Prestige was that it portrays the period of time in which it's set um, really well. And particularly the idea that, like, you know, going to a stage show, a magic show, and being amazed, this is what people did back, back in the day. This was sort of popular entertainment for the masses, right? Yeah, absolutely. And people's reputations could be made or broken in a heartbeat, you know, like if you if if, if you could jump to the top of the hit parade uh, with one with one invention, with one trick. And uh, but accordingly, you know, if it goes wrong and something's found out, then you're back at the bottom of the heap. So the real stars of the show are behind the scenes. Mm. People like Michael Caine who invent the machinery that makes the tricks work. Yeah, and sell it too. Hey, just very quickly, we've got about 40 seconds left, but uh, speaking of Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer got a fair few uh, nods at the Oscars. What do you reckon are are its chances in particular with the big ones? I think that all those nominations put it in prime pole position for uh, the big ones this this year at the Oscars. Uh, And and I think it really helps that it's actually been out for a long time, so lots and lots of people will have seen it. Mm. Um, I think that sometimes the the studios use tactics and delays and what have you to see if they can come in, like like on the the outside of the horse race. But this time around, I think it's the front runner. Dan Slevin, always a joy, never a chore. Thanks very much for coming on tonight. Thank you. That was Dan Stephen with Shortcuts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.